listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. On this edition, California is aging. A lot of people don't realize that almost one in five people in California are over the age of 65. We'll hear from an organizer about how the state should address that. And moving away from negative associations with elderhood amidst a growing demographic challenge. For every one older adult, individual over 65, there used to be five people under 15. Now that number is almost one to one. I'm Laura Wenis, and this is Civic. You're listening to Civic. California is aging, but it isn't very well prepared for what's been called a silver tsunami. Parts of the state are severely under-resourced when it comes to providing long-term care at nursing homes or in assisted living, and it can be difficult to access senior services to keep elders at home. Governor Gavin Newsom has called for a master plan on aging to address this need for services and care, and formed an advisory group of stakeholders. The group includes elders, adults with disabilities, local government representatives, health care providers, health plans, nonprofits, researchers, and labor unions. One of the members of the advisory committee is Jeannie Parker-Martin, CEO of Leading Age California. Leading Age represents more than 600 nonprofit providers of senior living and care. Jeannie, thanks for sitting down with me today. Thank you so much, Laura. So your organization launched an initiative this year called Age on Rage on. What enrages you and the seniors that you work with about the state of senior services and aging care in California? Well, that's a great question. I'd like to frame it slightly differently. So our Age on Rage on campaign is intended to bring awareness about the growing demographic in the state. And even words like silver tsunami are now starting to fall by the wayside so that we couch words in a very positive and upbeat way so as not to minimize or demean the individuals who are aging. So in our campaign, we're looking at older adults in the state, uh, the state, and we've targeted several major cities, of which all of us would know. San Francisco as one of the major cities in the state, one of the largest population bases, uh, Sacramento, San Diego, Los Angeles, and the Central Valley area. So we have three goals for the campaign. The first goal is just raise awareness, let everybody know. A lot of people don't realize that almost one in five people in California are over the age of 65. Now, everybody over the age of 65 doesn't need supports and services, and some of those people will never need any additional support or services. But there's a segment of that population that's going to need long-term services and supports. Those are individuals who might already have a chronic illness. They might be an individual who becomes disabled as they age or who has had a long-term disability. There also are individuals who are going to need caregivers. So through the need for long-term services and supports, we're trying to raise awareness about the need for workers in the field of aging services, but also recognizing that we need to bring workers in early into the field of aging services. So our three goals are raise awareness about the demographic, raise awareness about the need for long-term services and supports, and raise awareness about the need for workers in the field and ultimately, hopefully, bring some new caregivers and new workforce into the field. One of the stated purposes of the Age on Rage on campaign was to call for a master plan on aging in California, and obviously Governor Gavin Newsom has done that. It has to be, I think a proposal has to be made by October of 2020. So 
that seems like a great success. What are your hopes for this master plan? What what, what should it achieve? Right. Well, the master plan for aging is uh, a terrific first start for the state to develop a roadmap for the population as we age. And it's not just about people who are older or disabled. It's also about people living healthy and healthy in healthy communities. So our hope, um, and we're so excited that we launched this campaign, and just several months after that, he announced his executive order. It was about six months after we uh, launched our campaign. There were some other campaigns as well, like We Stand for Seniors, um, that is part of the SCAN Foundation and West Health Effort that are comparable to our messaging as well. So we're hoping to bring those um, those particular elements into the master plan for aging. So uh, we're, we're looking to help people age where they live. So not necessarily age in place in your own specific apartment, but if you live in San Francisco today, how can the master plan for aging provide a roadmap map for you to stay in your community. So living where uh, where you choose, essentially, with the help that you need. Another element of the Master Plan for Aging is to create age-friendly communities. And so through our Age on Rage on campaign, we're also bringing awareness to some of the needs of older adults. So for example, having uh, San Francisco is an age-friendly community. We've got many areas where you can walk long distances, We have a good public transportation system so that people can access public transportation, generally speaking, within a few blocks of their house. That's age-friendly. It's also having accessible stores, accessible grocery stores, accessible laundromats, accessible activities for individuals who are older and who are disabled. We also want to help maintain the health and well-being of individuals in uh, the community so that they can age in a, in a position that they want to uh, with the help that they need. And we also know that we want, we know that individuals would like to have economic security. So while we cannot provide everything to every individual, we're hoping to create a roadmap that makes it easier for individuals to access, uh, to pay for, and also to get support for the, the services that they need. And for people to just start thinking about the role of seniors in our communities and how we can support them. Yes, yes. And, uh, you know, so one of the one of the issues with the Master Plan for Aging or one of the considerations with the Master Plan for Aging is how to integrate the messaging into younger people. So it's not just about, oh, we never thought grandma was going to get sick or I never thought that my great aunt or my aunt or my mom or my dad were going to need any special assistance. They've been fine their whole life. We never thought they would need it. So how do we start to integrate some of the conversation at a much younger age? So I do want to get to some of the statistics that the Age on Rage on fact sheet points out because they're really staggering. The senior population is expected to nearly double by 2030. 75% of low-income seniors in the state are rent burdened. One in five seniors lives in poverty. Is there a cause we can track this situation back to? What happened to get us to this point, or has it always been this way? California has some unusual statistics. We have some statistics that are somewhat dissimilar to other states. We have the highest level of high-income people in the state and the highest level of poverty. We also have 
the largest state. We've got 40 million people. So our numbers are exacerbated by this number of 40 million. It's a lot of people. So our numbers represent probably a multifaceted aspect of why we have one in five older adults in the state. As people uh, formerly had many children, we also have a lot of families that were quite large, and they have all stayed in the state. That's not a testament to California. It is many states that have that same statistic. Uh, Families are smaller now. So we don't really know exactly why and how it's happened, but some of the maybe more obvious factors related to rent burden have to do with the high cost of living in San Francisco or in the state. Certain parts of the state have higher rent burden than other parts of the state. We also know that uh, in places like San Francisco, you're eight, you, some people can stay in their homes, but other people lose their homes because they can no longer afford to pay their mortgage or to pay their rent. The highest rate of homelessness is in people who are over 55 years old. And it's the fastest and growing that's population. That's the fastest growing population. People. Yeah. It's the fastest growing. So, so we don't really know why, but what we're trying to do is mitigate some of the impacts of this massive number of people. Just sheer volume is how I like to think about it. One in five in California is different than one in five in Ohio or one in five in Minnesota or one in five in South Dakota. One in five here means nearly nine million people, which is larger than many states in the country. So we have a sheer volume consideration that we have to address. And the Master Plan for Aging and our work at Leading Age California is helping to address some of those issues. I've reported before on the difficulties in accessing nursing home care, especially long-term nursing care in the Bay Area. And one thing that I feel I wasn't able to dig into enough was the close link to San Francisco's, and it's probably fair to say California's, housing crisis, like you just pointed out. About 19% of San Francisco's population is over 65 years old, and by 2050, that's expected to jump to 31%. And nearly 70% of low-income seniors in this city are rent-burdened. We already talked about the state where it's even higher. And so I'm, I'm wondering how we tease that connection out more in the conversation about aging. I mean, the, it just seems to me like the housing crisis is something we think about a lot, but we don't think about how it hits this community particularly hard. It hits this, particular, it hits this community, meaning older adults, yes. particularly hard. Uh, because as an individual ages, they might uh, do quite well in their own home for a long time. And as I described earlier, at some point in time, they might have a disability or some chronic illness that prevents them from staying in their own home or staying in their own home without services. So if you have a family member who lives nearby, that family member may be providing services or you may be able to afford, some people can afford to have a home care aide or some other services in their own home. That's the minority of individuals, however. So for those people who can't afford, um, they're staying in their own home and paying for services. One of the opportunities with the Master Plan for Aging is to begin to think about a long-term services and support financing mechanism. For some people who might be able to stay in their home or in a congregate setting, which here in San Francisco we're fortunate to have several examples of major senior affordable housing communities throughout the city. And those are continuing to be built here in San Francisco. 
San Francisco and the entire Bay Area, however, has, and California, has very high cost for building or renovation. So that's an impact of having enough housing that's affordable for older adults or younger adults, actually, um, or anyone. <laughs> uh, so as we think about it, we, um, we can think about how to continue to have legislation and policies that support people living in congregate or senior affordable housing with services. So that bringing in the services to a congregate setting is for the state more affordable than having one individual come to your home or to my home uh, as we need services. That is not going to work in all situations, and so it's not a solution for everyone, but it will be a solution for some of the people where housing with services will be an important element of success uh, or of support in the future. The other um, comment that i just like to make about nursing homes, and you mentioned that, the high cost of living, the high cost of renovation, the high cost of renovating and supporting regulations to provide appropriate the appropriate environment as well as care is challenging in high-cost areas. Cost of construction is high, so that's an impact. The cost of workers is high, so that's an impact. And the workers that work in nursing homes generally are at uh, kind of a minimum wage threshold. They might be above minimum wage, but they're in a lower wage uh, capacity. So they can't live in the city because they may not have enough money or housing, and so it's hard to attract workers. So you've got this uh, multifaceted impact of high cost, not enough workers who can stay nearby or who want, who can afford to live nearby. They may be able to trans, uh, you know, come from long distances, but at the same time, they're not actually able to live nearby as easily as they might have in the past. So these multifaceted problems. Yeah, I really want to talk more about the issue of labor. According to your fact sheet, we'll be needing a lot more caregivers to keep up with the need for care. And also this one really threw me. The average annual cost of employing a home health care aid is nearly $60,000. And that cost is expected to nearly double in the next 20 years. And I think this is where everyone, regardless of their age, starts paying attention because it wakes us up to the reality that we can't afford this on an individual basis, whether it's care for our parents, for ourselves, our loved ones. What are we going to do? And <laughs> that's not to mention the cost of assisted living or a nursing home, which can be twice that in the Bay Area. So can you talk more about that shortage of labor? Is this a statewide phenomenon What's going to happen with this? Is there some way to address this? How do we attract people into this field? Mm -hmm. The shortage of labor is not just a aging services issue. Just as we have this older adult population that's accelerating, we have a younger adult population that's staying flat. So in the past, this, the statistics are something like one in five uh for every one older adult, individual over 65, there used to be five people under 15. Now that number is almost one to one. Oh, wow. So when you think about this aging population and what we used to have, so my family's an example. There were seven of us. I have three kids versus the seven that my parents had. So across my husband and my family together, we had 12 people that could take care of our parents 
if they needed assistance or our siblings if they needed assistance. That number has really dramatically changed. That's a huge impact for all kinds of workers, not just workers in aging services. So what we're trying to do through our Age on Rage on campaign is also demonstrate that working in aging services is not all about death and dying. It's not all about hard to manage individuals. It's not all about sickness and illness. It's really about supporting individuals living at a time in their life when they are facing challenges and also at a time in their life when they can live, continue to live with high quality. So we're trying to raise awareness about the benefits of working in the field by having career days. We're also working with high schools um, by incorporating them into our career days. Sending inv- we send invitations <clears throat> for our May career day that was here in San Francisco. I was actually April in South San Francisco. Uh, we sent invitations to all of the high schools in the city to attend because we wanted to bring awareness that these are opportunities for jobs as these individuals from high school are graduating. That's Jeannie <clears throat> Parker-Martin, CEO of Leading Age California. You've been listening to Civic. We'll be back in just a moment. KSFP would like to thank the awesome, forward-thinking institutional supporters of the San Francisco Public Press, including the San Francisco Foundation, the James Irvine Foundation, the Reva and David Logan Foundation, Craig Newmark Philanthropies, the Jonathan Logan Family Foundation, the Ethics and Excellence in Journalism Foundation, the Fund for Nonprofit News at the Miami Foundation, the Fund for Investigative Journalism, the California Endowment, the Center for Cultural Innovation, the Institute for Nonprofit News, and the local independent online news publishers. This is KSFP-LP San Francisco, 102.5 FM. Welcome back to Civic. Let's get back to my conversation with Jeannie Parker-Martin, CEO of Leading Age California, about the status of senior care in California. One thing that we've been talking about is the issue of labor in care. And there's obviously a labor shortage in in, in a variety of fields, but this is one that particularly struck me and that I wasn't able to talk much about in my previous reporting. I wanted to get your take on the impact of immigration policy on that labor shortage. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, this is a very critical factor to workforce in the state of California. If you live along the border of California, there are many workers who every day travel from one of the border communities into California to work at one of our members for sure. And I'm sure that's consistent with other opportunities for workforce in the San Diego and other areas of the border communities. Um, as I think about workforce, I think about uh, last year when the borders closed, that suddenly some of our members didn't have workers who could as easily get across. They were able to get across, but they were uh, there were hour-long waits for them to get across the border. So that individual who had a long had difficulty getting across the border may have then been impacted by being late for work. Maybe their employer didn't quite understand what was going on. 
as we think about border control, the more control there is, the less opportunity there is for workers of all types to get across the border. We might think in our mind that these are low-wage workers who only would come from Mexico into the, into the state. That's not actually the case. Some people who are high-income workers live in Mexico and come across the border as well. As we think about immigration in the future, we need to have opportunities for workers to come from other countries into California and into other states to help mitigate the impact of low levels of workers here in our state and other, in other states. Uh, at the national level, we're working on an immigration policy that would allow guest workers to come into the field purely for aging services. We don't have a bill yet, but we're working with others in Washington. Our national association is located in Washington. Uh, they're working with various organizations in Washington, D.C. to put together potentially a guest worker program like we have currently for farm workers and other uh, other workers. So we're hoping that we might be able to impact the um, issue of immigration into the country by a guest worker program that would be focused on aging services and individuals who we'd like to work in aging services. It's not going to solve our problem with workers, but it will help mitigate the need for workers that we have in the state by bringing in more workers from other countries. And that might take several years to uh, get passed and also to place into effect. This brings up another area that I wasn't able to cover in my previous reporting, which is that different parts of the state face really different challenges. And there are rural areas of California where there are simply are no long-term care facilities. There's urban areas where supply is closer to meeting demand than it is in San Francisco. Can you paint a little bit of a picture of some of the different situations around the state? As we look around the state, uh, we, we do know that rural areas often have fewer services and fewer communities. So rather than facilities, we think of our members as communities. Uh, but when I look at a rural and an urban area, we, uh, we often have individuals who have to move or travel great distances. And there's probably not going to be a big change in the number of communities in rural areas because there's not as much population, and it's harder to build, it's harder to attract workers, and it's also harder to fill some communities if they're in more rural areas. Although those rural areas that exist usually have high occupancy. Yeah, that brings to mind to me Paradise, because in Paradise, after the fire, I think at least one community was totally destroyed. And so I'm curious to understand better what's going to happen as we see more wildfires, as we see more it's more need for reconstruction, what's going to happen to people who lived in those communities previously? Mm-hmm. It's going to be tough. It's going to be very tough. We have an emergency, emergency fund that we can provide some limited amount of resources to them, not for reconstruction, but limited resources that might help provide uh, support to their staff. So last year, we were able to provide thousands of dollars of uh, gift cards, for example, to some of their staff so that their staff who were affected and lost their homes could go out and buy clothes or could buy supplies that they needed to support their families. It's a very, very challenging issue in the state. And as part of the Master Plan for Aging, a goal was added as we looked, uh, as we talked yesterday in the research subcommittee about emergency services and how we're going to prepare for emergency services. I was also at an event last evening with Mayor Schaff, 
And she talked about how the response was improved in Oakland. This kind of response is going to happen over and over and over, and this kind of emergency preparedness is a great need for each of us. If you're on a ventilator, if you have a wheelchair that's an electric wheelchair, if you're disabled, if you're on oxygen, you need electricity. So we need to think about what are the variables that will occur and what are the demands during uh, a crisis. And the state is doing a lot to try and prepare for crises. It's also now doing a lot to try and prepare for just providing people the opportunity to age with dignity. There's a lot of legislation that's being passed. I want to talk about one piece in particular. The governor recently signed into law a bill that requires the master plan on aging to consider the efficacy of utilizing a no-wrong-door system. So can you define a no-wrong-door system and talk a little bit about what would change if California had one? Yes. Uh, So I think the no-wrong-door policy is critical to the success of the master plan for aging. No-wrong-door policy or system would obtain accurate information and timely referrals to appropriate community services and supports for any individual. And if you look back at the Affordable Care Act, which some people refer to as Obamacare, under that act, they had a no-wrong-door policy so that you would come in with one application, your information related to your health and your health needs were distributed to any provider that was uh, that you were seeing or that was uh, caring for you. So when I think of the no-wrong-door policy here in California, which we don't have currently, it would allow individuals who are in need of services who have difficulty accessing or all of us have difficulty understanding the healthcare delivery system. It would allow better information to be shared about your own care needs and more uh, and faster access to care than and perhaps prevention of other illnesses or other disabilities that might occur if you didn't have faster access. So the idea is that rather than having to fill out a bunch of different applications and send your information to many different providers, is you there's no wrong door for you to go through. It's streamlining the the access to services. Is that about right? That's absolutely correct. Yes. So right now, what what is the situation now and what would change? Is there an example you could name of a situation somebody might find themselves in that would be different if we had a no wrong door policy? Uh, let's say you uh, fell and broke your hip and you went to San Francisco General. That information is not required to go back to your care provider that might be your primary care physician Or it might not go to your caregiver who comes to your home every day because you're already in a challenge situation of some type or another. Uh, Or it might not go back to the community that you live in because there's no requirement to do that. Under a no-wrong-door policy, the information would be shared in a more efficient and appropriate way so that every provider in your care delivery network would have that information quickly so they could respond to new needs that you might have. We've covered a lot of ground. I think we're running out of time, but I want to give you a chance to bring up anything that I didn't specifically ask you about that you want to get the word out about or that you think is an important issue that we haven't addressed. I think now in California, as we focus this aging demographic that we have, one in five individuals over 65 the number doubling doubling to nearly 9 million by 2030. It will double again by 2050. We think of these numbers, it's going to be an an enormous impact on our state. 
So the demand for affordable housing, care that's accessible and affordable, and also um, reduces disparities, and services for individuals across the spectrum of aging is going to be essential for our state to thrive in the future. So when I think about Age on Rage On, our campaign that is helping to raise awareness about these issues, we hope that every listener will go to ageonrageon.com and take the pledge. We have over 10,000 pledges as of today, and it's accelerating every week exponentially, so we're very excited. Um, and so that we can continue to message our legislature and our policymakers uh, to make the right decisions so that we aren't impacted negatively about their choices uh, because they were uninformed. Great. Well, Jeannie, thank you so much for sitting down with me and talking with me today. Thank you so much, Laura. It's been a pleasure. I've been speaking with Jeannie Parker-Martin, CEO of Leading Age California, which represents nonprofit providers of senior living and care. I'm Laura Wenis, and you've been listening to Civic. Civic is a production of the San Francisco Public Press, sfpublicpress.org. Your host is Laura Wenis, producer and contributor Mel Baker. The publisher of the San Francisco Public Press is Lila LaHood. Executive Director, Michael Stoll. Interim Managing Editor, Noah Arroyo. Director of Membership and Community, Daphne Magnawa. Civic is aired on KSFP LP San Francisco, a low-power FM radio station at 102.5 FM. Thanks for listening.